Kasturi Rangan has been a gamer his entire life, but for him, gaming is more than a passion. It's a calling. Rangan has devoted his professional career to building up the gaming community and helping gamers around the world connect and advance the movement. Today, he is president of Poll to Win. Poll to Win has worked on some of the biggest games on the market, and the clients they partner with are so happy with the experience, Poll to Win has a 98% client retention rate. But what does it mean to build a gaming community? How do you actually make sure that the gamer's experience is not just good, but exceptional? What is the secret sauce that Poll to Win brought to the table to help launch eight of the last 10 games of the year? Rangan answers all of those questions and more on this episode of IT Visionaries. This podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Did you know that Salesforce isn't just for sales? Using Salesforce as an employee experience platform helps make every employee across your organization more productive thanks to a common mobile-first platform for getting work done faster. Find out more at salesforce.com slash employee experience. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And we have in studio, Rangan, how's it going? Oh, it's going good, man. Really nice to be here and uh, excited, actually. Yeah, Yeah, me too. This is going to be fun because we're going to talk about gaming. And gaming is something that I think is all near and dear to our IT Visionaries listeners. A lot of CIOs, IT leaders, technologists, um, got their interest in technology and gaming, and you work with a company in Pull to Win that is at the cutting edge of a lot of really cool stuff with gaming. So, before we get into all that, how did you get started in technology? Ooh, that's that's <laughs> that's a long story. I think that might that might just run out for the entirety of this podcast <laughs> uh, alone. Uh, well, I, actually, I, I mean, I, I come from humble beginnings uh, way back in India. Um, I was a gamer all my life. Uh, I started gaming when I was, I guess, 10, 12, when I first got my uh, first Sega Genesis, I guess, nice. uh, from from back in the day. And I think back then itself, I, I kind of realized that I want to, this is, this is definitely something I want to pursue, like, you know, long term, which is I want to be making games. Or I want to be contributing to um, the gaming world and, and kind of leaving a legacy with um, doing something that is revolutionary for um, people out there that I can leave as an experience, right? So, so anyway, so I, I started off, um, you know, I, I was doing my engineering and in India, and then um, you know, once I was done with that, I, I kind of realized that I don't want to be working in a regular IT job way back in India as well. I, I love India, by the way. That's that's where I mean, it taught me a lot in life, and I realized that I want to be building communities for gamers and essentially helping helping the gaming community, helping gamers around. Um, back then, we didn't even have, um, you don't have a gaming community. Yeah, you, didn't exactly have, right. you didn't have anything. I mean, everything was an ICQ or MIRC and um, and then came some of the other social networks, but um, you had, you know, you had gaming parlors that, that, that we would go to and that we would set up. Uh, so I started off in technology actually setting up gaming parlors way back in the day when it was still fairly uh, big. And then, um, and then I got a job working at uh, EA. I started off as a lead um, way back in the day and uh, became a project manager, was running all of QA and testing for EA. And then uh, worked for another company for production for a year, started my own company for about two years. It, it, it didn't go all that well, but um, you know, I had a lot of learnings there, which I think made me who I am today. And then I worked with a company called Bitrhymes where um, you know, we made 
a lot of social games, a lot of, um, you know, way back when MySpace was big and Facebook was big in terms of games. And then I joined pull to win close to about, you know, eight years back. So um, working as a general manager for pull to win and setting up operations and, and running successful, building successful studios um, around the world. So yeah, that kind of gives you, I don't know if that, that, that gives yeah. you a decent brief of, you know, how I kind of started. So what was your favorite Genesis game? Oh uh, man, I don't even remember now. Honestly, it's it's been so long. So I, um, I <laughs> you put me in a spot right there. I, I just know, right? Drew, drew a blank. <laughs> so I, I got when I got my first Genesis. Um, for whatever reason, I like me and my my buddies like kept it in pristine condition, and so we break it out like every couple of years, like now. Right. Uh, so I have it. It's like in my house right now in a, in a box, and like we broke it out like two years ago and uh and try to beat some of those old games it is so hard the genesis games like some of those like echo the dolphin is like impossible i I had no idea how to do that it's funny so i i spoke to a guy this guy wallace poulter really amazing guy he works works a lot magically now um and he was he built games like way back in the day and he was saying that like the art of game and you would know exponentially more about this than i do but What's so interesting to me was he was explaining how, like back in the day, game makers, like it wasn't about the game experience. Like it was about like they wanted to make games that people couldn't beat, like that it was hard right. to win. And I just thought that was such an interesting insight that like being a game maker then compared to now, which is so much more of like a building a world and all of this different stuff is totally different. Yeah, I actually, I mean, the, that just made me recollect, you know, even on the on the Nintendo, like when I was playing, I was playing Super Mario Brothers again, yeah. uh, just for the fun of it. It was actually available on Switch. Um, and I'm not kidding. I couldn't get past, I think, the third or fourth level. I, I couldn't even get past the fire stage. And I'm like, and I'm and back then I used to just race ahead, right? Yeah, like, yeah. And, and now I'm like, it's I don't know if it's my hand-to-eye coordination or yeah. it's just that games have become so much more different and so much more challenging. I mean, they were way more challenging back then. And... I don't know. I, I I also think that it's there was a lot of strategy involved back in the day in terms of games. A lot of strategy games are kind of dying. That's kind of been my, you know, I've been sad about it just because um, like you had Command and Conquer die. Um, Starcraft 2 was the only best RTS that came out, you know, um, in, in, in the longest time that I can remember. And I'm hoping that will revive it. Um, I don't know what got me on strategy, but I, I think way back then um, you had like, you had a lot of, you had a mix, mixture of all kinds of different games where it would kind of expose your, I think, I think your 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 brain to really comprehend different tactical and strategic stuff. Yeah. And now it's just, um, it's kind of made it really easy, I feel. Well, and I think it's like, there's so much storytelling now, right. especially too, with, with a lot of these things. You know, one of the, <clears throat> one of the cool insights that Wallace was telling me was how, uh, I forget the exact game, but it was like the predecessor to FIFA and the English, he was English, or he is English. And the English soccer team was, you you couldn't use real people's names. So it was his high school soccer team. Like oh, he, he put all the people's hilarious. names. Yeah, stuff like that. And I just think that that's one of the cool parts about gaming is like the fact that it's this blend of storytelling and technology. It's something that people can really like dive into the world of. Um, and it's something that a lot of people want to work in that 
career. And like, you've been really fortunate that you've been able to do that. I, I'd love for you to share more for our listeners who don't know about pull to win. What is the scope of, you know, your responsibilities there and what, what you all are, are working on? Yeah. Um, so, so pull to win, I mean, we, we work on, so we've got five main lines of services that we provide um, and in no order. I mean, our business is kind of equally spread between the different lines of services. What we do is we work with different um, video gaming companies and software companies. So we've kind of split between 60, 40 in terms of volume of work that we get in. And we're more like strategic partners, but actually an outsourcer if you look at it um, in, in the traditional definition of who we are. But we're, we're essentially a way more boutique kind of offering in, in the sense that we're like an extended wing of some of the biggest game studios that you've seen. We work on those games. We can't talk about it <laughs> for yeah, the most yeah. part. Um, some of the biggest battle royals that came out, we, we helped with some of that. We helped with uh, some of the best uh, RPG games. So what we do is we provide um, quality assurance, which is testing as a service. We provide engineering, uh, customer support, which is customer experience and player support. Um, then we provide localization and translation pretty much around the world. So we have um, close to, I don't know now, 30 locations, um, I'm guessing, coming up on 30, I guess. Yeah, we, we just added a we just added a new studio in Montreal. Uh, we're oh, launching, wow. in fact, I'm going there next week uh, to launch it. Um, really excited for Canada as well. So, uh, you know, in a nutshell, what we do is we help gaming companies be successful We and, and product companies be successful. We're not just focused on games um, for the most part. We, it's sort of 60-40. So we build apps, we build websites, we build um, experiences for different people, whether it's games or traditional software apps. And, you know, I think that there is this kind of like, again, the sentiment of like how cool it is to be in the gaming industry because like it's fun. You know, we yeah. get that a little bit because we're a media and, you know, the writing the stories and doing a lot of the sort of stuff. Um, but there's a lot of this testing, whether it's in gaming or whether it's in software, that is so critical, user experience, the rise of the importance of user experience, the rise of the importance of customer experience, what this look and feels like to the person. We've all seen things that have glitches or bugs. Um, can you talk about like the importance of, of quality assurance and why this is just so critical for technology companies and for gaming companies going forward? Yeah, I think um, I think every every most gaming companies invest uh, in QA if they can afford it uh, at at a good level. Uh, a lot of the indie companies and growth companies find it really hard to just just because they focus just on the design and getting the game out of the door. They they don't have that kind of funding or focus in terms of QA. But in terms of importance, it's it's extremely important. I mean, it's it's player experience one on one. And you know what we do is we don't just test the game for you know, in, in, in a standard procedure of running a checklist and finding what the bugs are, we essentially go through the entire experience you could have. I mean, I'm, I'm just going to take a game as an example, whether we worked on it or not, which I can't tell, but uh, let's, let's take Skyrim, for example, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, uh, it's one of the most, my, one of my favorite games. I mean, it's, it's the most, one of the most beautiful open world games out there, but then you had dragons and you didn't know when the dragon's going to spawn. You didn't know, um, you know, like you had so much going on in a, in a beautiful open world and it's, uh, it gets hard sometimes for game creators to focus on, okay, I want to deliver this out of the world experience and, and leave that kind of legacy for the gamers out there and, and enjoy it. But at the same time, how do I, you know, they, they, they kind of end up doing a lot of risk-based testing, which is to just focus on what's most important for me right now to mm-hmm. get the game out of the door and really try to focus mostly on that. 
you know, I have an $8,000 setup in terms of a gaming rig. Yeah. You know, I have a streaming PC, which has got, you know, way better than some of the best streamers out there just to play around with it. Yeah. And it still has frame rate issues. It still has crashes. Yeah. So it, it, it kind of gets to a point where, um, you know, for the average gamer who can't even afford, you know, s- s- you know that kind of a setup, they'll, they'll spend maybe $1,500 or, you know, and especially with like a, a first person shooter game, you know, where everything's, you know, you have to be accurate, you know, to, to a great extent. And let's say because of a bug or because of a glitch, you lost the game. That just reflects bad on retention. So essentially what's going to happen is another Battle Royale is going to come out and they're going to wait for it and they're, gonna, they're all going to migrate to that. So you have to scale up in terms of quality in parallel as fast as you can and make sure. I think my, my advice to game creators would be to really invest in player experience quite a bit before yeah. they even launch the game out. And yeah, so. Yeah, I mean, you see these games like, you know, Red Dead Redemption 2, for example, that has built this massive world and just like how much goes into that, just the the thoughtfulness of the team to think of just like all these complex storylines, how they all play, all of these different pieces. And then, you know, it wins a lot of awards. And you kind of have this like dichotomy of the games that are like the premier, tons of money, tons of uh, effort. And then you have the ones that, you know, to your point, they go out there and maybe don't do those sort of things. The gamers can tell, right? But it's also just not just like the gamers in terms of like the super serious ones, like average players can too. And now with the rise of things like esports and all of that, there's some pretty serious table stakes that you have to meet. Do you think that there's like the bar has been raised to create like a game that has a flawless experience that people, especially, and you have message boards, you have all of these communities where if something is screwed up, they're going to talk about it and everyone's going to know. That's, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I, I, you got me thinking there because uh, when I, when I think about it, the, the bar's definitely risen in terms of the experience itself, right? Like you look at Witcher, you look at Red Dead Redemption, the experience is a whole new level in terms of storytelling, in terms of, you know, the actions that the player has to, that they can uh, play around in an open world. But yeah, I think players are getting a little more frustrated about quality. If you look at some of the, I mean, my personal experience, when you played on any of the standalone consoles back in the day, they weren't as buggy. Even PC games no. weren't as buggy. Um, you know, they, they but, but the experience was limited, but uh, I felt like they were way more focused on, you know, quality assurance and player experience than now. I think now it's, uh, they just want to get the game out of the door. Um, honestly, I believe some of the big companies suffer from, you know, uh, I think Marissa Mayer put it the best way, way back in the day, she said, you know, like quarteralysis, you know, they're just chasing every quarter to hit their number. Yeah. And it becomes like, now the games are going through that experience of, you know, trying to launch it and trying to prove and trying to show milestones and achievement every quarter over quarter that sometimes they get worried about and producers get pushed into releasing the game and not being able to deliver the exact kind of experience that they've wanted to because that would have pushed the game out by like maybe a year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think the the industry is definitely trending. I, I've, I've heard a lot of gamers frustrated. I can tell you within my own community, you know, a lot of us are frustrated with some of the games that we're currently playing and waiting for like, okay, what's next out there that can um, that can be a lot... I can improvise on what's, what this has and make it a better player experience. Yeah. You know, as someone who works in media and every time I watch, you know, a Netflix show or 
that's clear. Like clearly they missed a shot here right. and they're dubbing over it because they just right. completely, you know, missed a whatever. Those things happen, right? Those things right. happen. And I'm sure you see all of those things as well, where you're like, clearly this was something that they cut a corner on. But also knowing that you're in the realm where you're like, ah, we could have fixed that. Like yeah. if you had just given us the time, if we like, if you had talked to us before that, um, what are those conversations like? Like as you're talking to customers or prospects and you're going to them and saying like, hey, I played your last game. I know, you know, our team looked at this like for X amount of dollars, like here is why this is worth it. Like we promise you it's worth it because you're going to get a higher score. You're going to get higher ratings. You know, anecdotally, people are going to be happier. But how do you kind of talk to them about like, this is the ROI of what we're doing? <laughs> that's, that's, that's usually a tough conversation. Um, just because they kind of get touchy with, um, I mean, a lot of producers get touchy with the fact that, you know, you, you, you can show them all these case studies or, or you, can, you can talk about, hey, if you don't just fix basic frame rate issues, gamers are going to, they're like, yeah, yeah, we get it, we get it. And, and then uh, what happens is, like a lot of games that 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 you work on, uh, you have hundreds, maybe even thousands. Like some of the open world RPGs that we worked on, you end up with thousand plus uh, open bugs that are yeah. out there. And um, I don't blame the gaming, you know, a company or or you know, it's no not one person's fault in terms of why those bugs weren't fixed. I think they get pressurized into um, you know what's what's the best bet I'm going to take right now to get the game out of the door, and what can I just fix like along the way. Yeah, And what happens is, what I've seen in the past is the ones who make a wise decision on that, like choose which bugs they really want to fix before launch and which bugs they want to keep post-launch. That's a critical piece right there. Yeah. And sometimes they mess that up where they choose some of the wrong bugs. They, just, they go more for experience than for quality. Like for example, a, a, the best possible example is you cannot have a showstopper on progression on standard linear progression for an RPG game. Yeah. Because you're blocking the story. Yeah. If you're blocking the story, the gamer's gonna, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna cry. <laughs> yeah. But then sometimes you might, I've seen, I've seen people choose, well, we'll fix that, you know, one, two weeks after we launch over some of the issues. And I'm, and I'm literally like, I'm so scared even when the game's gonna, you know, launch. And we, we, we try our best to be the advocates, be the gatekeepers of, of quality and, and, and really try to, you know, show these, you know, reports and, and, and players and, and their feedback. And, you know, it really comes down to, you know, what risks they take and that's going to define whether it's going to make it or break it um, in the long term. Yeah. The rise of this, like, you know, lean kind of startup, lean mentality, launch and then fix, like launch and build, get customer feedback. It's had so many advantages, but it also has some massive disadvantages when it comes to creative work. Because like at the end of the day, you know, like if you create a TV show or something like that and you put it out there or, a, or you know, whatever it is, it's a self-contained entity, right? Right. But when you create a game, it's not. And then there's all sorts of things that are out of your control. The bandwidth of the person's internet, which yeah. like, you know, where I live, like we have horrible bandwidth. So, yeah. you know, when my old roommate used to, you know, play games and we'd watch Netflix and whatever, like it gets laggy. Yeah. That's something that like <laughs> as the game creator you have no control of what the bandwidth is of the person, you know, who's doing yeah. that. So if you have all of these other bugs and issues, in addition to that, you're talking about an extremely choppy experience yeah. and something that they're like, you know, next time your game comes out, they're just going to be like, yeah, I'm just not yeah, going to do it. Yeah. And, and even in terms of testing, like compatibility testing is one of the tests that we do, right? Like we have an entire compatibility lab 
where we have different hardware devices. We have almost 10,000 different configurations that we can run. So from graphic cards to motherboards to like just for PC games alone and for mobile games. And in terms of bandwidth, we can even throttle bandwidth. So we, we look at all different test scenarios from you know the min spec to the recommended spec. Like we set that sometimes for a lot of gaming companies. I mean, it doesn't have to have like a nine out of a 10 experience. Even if they can get to like a seven, a good seven, and then they can work on the eight and the nine, that's good. But sometimes they just launch with a three yeah. and then try to go to a seven. And it, it's it's what's what's that, you know, uh, I call it the stretch limit for a gamer, right? Like their, their frustration reaches a point where they're just like, okay, uninstall, I'm done. Yeah. And um, there's too many options. Yeah, too many options out there. Absolutely. Yeah, you're just going to leave. Yeah. Um, and unless... Unless there's some sort of like social pull, like right. everyone is playing this game and right. I need to be playing it, or you know, all my friends are playing it, they're right. just they're just gonna jump. Right. Um with how quickly you can now build and with you know, a company like Pull to Win, where if you had someone come to you that was not you know, a big game studio. And we have that. Yeah, no, no this I'm so I'm curious. So that comes to you and it's like, hey, we want to outsource like all of our, you know, QA game testing, something like that to you all. Do you kind of see this place in the future where the idea of like a single game creator that someone could be able to like build and execute in a cheaper way than previously, than building the entire, you know, studio themselves from scratch with all this stuff? Because it seems like something like where outsourcing to you all and I, I don't really outsourcing is like true but it's kind of a weird phrase we, we call ourselves partners you know that, yeah. and, and, and and it's funny because we worked on like if you look at the last 10 game of the years i think we worked on most of them um wow and we can't even talk about it and uh we had one of the biggest um movie stars in our studio which the entire world is talking about right now like last week recording stuff and for one of the biggest games that we're working yeah. on and we do most of it for, for I mean, we work very closely. We love that gaming company. And, um, but it's, it, it gets hard. We can't even talk about it. But, you know, we work with indie companies. We work with AAA publishers and developers. Yeah. To, to your point in terms of uh, how, do they, how do they make better games with, um, with the price point, with the budget that they have, right? That's, that's, that's yeah. kind of your question. With, um, I just think they get, you, you got to get smarter with it. Like for us, like we, you know, I, I've even worked on games. I mean, my teams have worked on games where the company doesn't even have money for QA. And we're like, we'll just do it for you. Don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. We'll just launch it. Because we're all gamers at heart. Mm -hmm. And we, we know what they're going through, right? So we're like, we'll just launch it. And in a way, I mean, the, the return that we get out of it is, yeah, if they become a big game, they'll at least maybe reciprocate back and yeah. say that uh, thank you and maybe give us some work, you know? So um, I think we're very agnostic. I think a lot of outsourcing companies are very agnostic like that. Like a lot of partner, you know, companies which partner for, with different studios are very flexible for gaming um, studios out there. I think the, the the focus, even for like an indie gaming company, what I've seen is they kind of go all over the place with what they, the experience that they want to develop. Just just pick one experience, pick one storyline, pick pick whether it's linear, non-linear. Just make one level, even if you have to make one level. Don't try to expand it to 10 yeah. different levels, but make sure it's the best possible experience you can ever get. Yeah. Because even if you launch it uh, on Steam or if you if you launch it, you know, ad hoc on your own, someone's going to pick it up. Some publisher is going to look at it and be like, well, why don't you flesh it out and we'll give you the budget for it. So I hope that answers that yeah. question. I don't know. If, well, and I yeah. think, and I think, you know, we, we had the CIO Unity on, uh, on the show, uh, and it's one of those things where, you know, you have things like Unity, which you can build on, you know, where the, you know, the person who's sitting there, who's, you know, 15 years old, you know, bored in high school, 
could figure out a way, like you said, to build, they could build on some type of tools. They could build one level. They could build one thing in a way, and they could get that to a situation where, you know, they find someone, maybe they find an investor or a sponsor or something like that to put up X amount of dollars. Then they, you know, come to a place like pull to win and you could, you could cobble together someone who has a really cool idea and get it to launch in a way that is really unprecedented. Like yeah, that has yeah. never happened before. And that's just what's so exciting. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, that's pretty much what we do. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in yeah. a way, yeah. <laughs> how do you, how do you look at, you know, continuing to innovate like such a rapidly changing kind of landscape? Um, wow. That's a good, that's a good one. Um, and this is, you're asking me this specific to games or specific to products? Like, what is it? You know, both. I mean, I think we can kind of say not just on the gaming, you know, applications, the other things that you're working on in software. Right. Um, I think, I think innovation happens with, what is the problem that you're trying to solve, right? Like, what is it that you're trying to do in terms of, um, you know, the, the end user experience is, is what that matters. And, and what is it that you're trying to solve? And, and what we do in terms of innovation is, you know, we help them be that thinking partner where we give them what we're already doing, like in terms of, you know, what we've seen in the yeah. world. And then we look at what's coming out in the future and then see, where, well, do you want to leapfrog and take all the learnings that are already out there and, and, and try to build something next gen and revolutionary? Um, so it really depends on the risk appetite that people have and in terms of what is it that they want to achieve. What I've seen for the most part between products and platforms, right? Uh, the hardest thing to innovate around uh, our platforms, you know, products are easier to innovate on. Platforms, it's, um, I mean, they pretty much define the highest level of user attention. So I always look at, you know, different products and see how can you make your product to be a platform for people to be on, right? For example, Google's a platform, Facebook's a platform, you know, but you have apps and products on these platforms, right? But then platforms have a longevity. So, I mean, I know I'm kind of all over the place with your, no, no, with, yeah. with, with the question you had, because you got me kind of thinking, but with, um, you know, innovation is a very subjective, you know, we, we just ideate, ideate, ideate so much. And the, the three things that I usually look for is, I call it the three R's, um, you know, in terms of retention, reward, and recognition, at least for, the, from, for games, that's what players look for. Yeah. Players look for these three things. I mean, I mean two things, which is retention, um, I mean, reward and recognition, which yeah. ultimately lead to retention. Yeah. And sometimes the, you know, one of my good friends says, sometimes the recognition is the reward, you know, yeah. people and, you know, games have to play, experiences have to cater to that, have to cater to how do you make them, if it's, if it's an entertainment experience, right, it has to cater to how do you reward them the best and, you know, retain them through that. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I think, I think too, that the thing that's so interesting about gaming, you know, with the rise of like all of everything being connected is that like back in the day, it kind of was like swimming, right? Like you're just kind of playing yourself, right. you know, and uh, and maybe you're talking to your friends or whatever it is about about that stuff. And now you have obviously all sorts of leaderboards. You have professional sports like, you know, esports, uh, which is getting like absolutely huge. Right. Um, so it's it's just changed the dialogue of of like what is the reward, what is the recognition right. that people are able to get. I, I started uh, on vacation. I was playing words with friends for the first time in like seven years, um, and uh, and it was funny because they did the, they do this like lightning 
these like lightning things now, mm -hmm. which is always the funny thing. Cause like, <laughs> it's a really interesting kind of like common sense thing that right. you have a game, which is predicated on like, you know, making the best move. And then you say, okay, let's do that. Except now it's just by time. And right. instead of doing it by yourself, you're with a team. Right. And instead of it just being, you know, a team, like playing another team, it's your team all works together on boards right. instead of, you know, versus each other. And I think that those type of like little innovations and those yep. little things are so exciting to make like one plus one plus one, you know, equal right. five. Right. And that's what like, you know, it feels like next gen for gaming is like, how do you continually do these things and figure out new use cases that you can add elements of speed, you can add timeliness. You know, you saw um, HQ trivia, right? Like right. come out of nowhere right. that, you know, every it's like what's old is new again, right? People love Jeopardy. They've loved it for, you know, whatever, right. 30 years. Right. Well, what if you could play Jeopardy for prizes on your phone in the right. middle of the day when you're right. sitting at work, right. you're supposed to be working. Um, do you think that as a company that sees so much innovation happening that it just positions you you know, a lot better for the future because you, you like you're you're you have your hands in so many yeah. different ideas. Yeah, I think I think um, you know we we worked on so many we worked on three hundred different applications and games last year. <laughs> so it was like wow. you know we at, at the end of it, I, I was talking to my teams and I was like, hey man, how how do we put all all of this experience together? I mean, all of us have worked on so many different things, and uh, we try to put like you know user stories on uh, different based on genre, based on platform by seeing that. Okay, what were the learnings from this? What, what, what do we, you know, what do we see different here, and and how's the industry trending and stuff? But you know, you know, the problem. What what happens for us is, um, like, running a game is, um, you know, developing a game is just madness. Yeah, I have no other way to define it. It's just a melting pot of madness. Yeah, like you have everyone pretty much scrambling on things, and everyone's overworked. And um, I, I try to keep my teams not overworked. I try to tell them just, just take your vacation, go spend time with your family, do yeah. what you got to do. But some of them are so passionate about it that they want to launch. They they spend sometimes weekends on it. I'm like, I would like, yeah, don't 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 do this to yourself. And um, but but it, the point I'm trying to make there is it, it gets hard for us to take a step back sometimes and just spend that time just to reflect and bring all those stories together and really trying to leapfrog. So we try to take some time off, like a week and a year and try to get together with some of my leaders and, and they get together with some of their teams and, um, and, and, and kind of see, okay, what can we contribute towards helping companies innovate on different games, different products? And um, what kind of mechanics are we seeing improve? You know, what's changing, you know? And, and we, do, we do share that confidentially with some of our partners, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah it's, it is a melting pot of, you know, like 300 games yeah. <laughs> last year and yeah. What is, the day in the life of a QA person? Like what are they? Oh, I mean, that's, that's, that's an, is it, is it, is it all, pardon the pun here, fun and games or, uh, or, or is it's, it? It's not like grandma's boy. I don't know. I don't know why people, I mean, yeah. it, it, everyone kind of like think it's like grandma's boy. Or, yeah. I mean, it's so much more focused. It's so disciplined. It's so technical and um, it's, it's so challenging too. Like, yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll take an example. Um, and I'll answer your question too on yeah. on what the lifestyle. I mean, what what the life in a, a day of of a, of a QA tester looks like. Between Sony, Nintendo, and Microsoft, they have different compliance, um, you know, standards that we have to follow. You know, gaming companies, you know, come to us and we help them test that test, test across those standards. Those standards are really rigid. Um, it could be, and they're not just like straightforward standards. You can just test. 
Um, like if you have a blank screen for five seconds at any point in the game, you know, that's a compliance, you know, case fail. Yeah. So, but you got to remember it in the back of your head to know that's, that's a fail and make sure no game has it, right? So like that you have like hundreds of different standards that like these gamers, A, have to, you know, absolutely absorb and be experts at, B, complete the game across all the difficulty levels, if, if there are like difficulty levels set, without the use of cheats, without the use of anything, just to make sure, and test across these compliance standards. Now, even if one standard fails and it's on us and we haven't found it, that could that could cost a company millions of dollars. Yeah. Because they, they looked at, say, a launch in November 1st, and because of that, you know, let's say one of the platforms said, we can't launch the game, their dates are pushed back, everything, the release schedule's pushed back, and literally, like, they've spent a million dollars in marketing or, or so, yeah. and it's all gone just by one bug. So that's how, you know, I'm just trying to give you the emphasis on it's it's not just just playing a game straight up. It it's it takes some time. A compliance test, it takes at least two years to become, uh, and, and it's not everyone's piece of cake. Like, you have to be the best possible gamer with the best eye for bugs and really be creative and really be good at communication and, and explain the bug through uh, and tag it with anything that you've seen before. So it, it comes with a lot of experience, a lot of time spent on it. Um, and, and it's almost like one in a hundred tester find, usually to find a compliance tester. But even for a regular tester, I mean, these things are challenging because we, we have to test it across different difficulty levels. A day in the life of a game tester is, you know, they would come in, you know, you've got a, you've got a build that you've got to work on. You know, there are two ways in which you can test a game, you know, whether it's um, ad hoc or test case driven. You have to do, you have to give 100% of both, mm -hmm. which is you've got to free roam and explore the game if it's a PC or console game. And you also got to run like a checklist of things that you want to check on different levels, right? So they come in, you know, they set their day, they look at, you know, what is their focus for today or what is the task that they've been assigned to by their lead? Run those checks. Uh, some of it can get really challenging. They test a lot of different scenarios across it. And then uh, they have to very creatively describe it. Now, game testers are not just playing around the game and and um, writing bugs. I yeah. mean, they're they're looking at if if there's an issue with lighting, um, you know, in in X level, that could be an issue in lightning in Y level. So why don't we go across different levels, check it out, and see what is maybe causing it? And they'll do a lot of kind of deeper research on the bug itself. And then kind of clearly describe it, write it, post it, assign it to different producers or, um, you know, the dev managers. So it is extremely technical and, and challenging in terms of um, the game itself. But it's just because it's an entertainment product, people kind of view it, um, oh, they're just playing games. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, my grandma, I'm, I mean, she used to say that way back. Uh, she would be like, uh, I mean, I would tell her that, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm working and testing for games. I get, uh, I mean, we play games and we find issues and... I'm not kidding. She And she's from old school, conservative, you know, God bless her soul. She's not here anymore, but um, she literally looked at the sky and she was like, oh my God, what, what days have fallen upon us that people are getting paid to play games. <laughs> and I'm like, well, <laughs> I wish it's, I can explain it to you. It's like, hey, let me explain to you that uh, there were gladiators back, you know, 2000 yeah. years ago that were being paid. Uh, there was, you know, people taking tickets, selling concessions. Yeah. Like this is... You know, humans have been playing games for uh, probably about as long as we've been able to talk. Yeah, well, well, I, and another funny story about my grandmom there is, I was very happy once, it was a very cute, funny thing that she did with, I, I was sitting and playing uh, Oblivion when it came out, Elder Scroll, and um, Oblivion had some really good graphics uh, back, you know, for, for the time when it launched. And she came and she, she's, she's like 75, 80 years old. Um, she came and sat right next to me and she literally sat there for the next 30 minutes when I was, 
talking to these different NPCs yeah. and, and completing quests. And she she asked me, oh, where is that person from? I'm like, what do you mean, where, where is that person? She actually thought they were real people <laughs> that I was talking to. She didn't even realize that they were like, um, but I was, that's when I made me feel happy that games are evolving to the point where it's almost breeding into reality. Yeah, I, and, I had uh, a buddy's friend walked in the room and like sat down and was like, oh, who's playing? Like yeah. literally thought that <laughs> sat there for like five minutes and thought they were watching a real football game. <laughs> You're no. like, this is, this is not a real football game. Yeah. Um, what about the rise of AR, VR, you know, this, you know, the, these, this type <laughs> of world that is going to be literally created on top of the real world that, that we live in. Right. Um, I think, I think it still has a long way to go. I think it's, it's, it's getting there eventually. Um, I'm, I'm sure everyone's going to give you the, the kind of similar answer where the industry is not there yet. At least this is just me talking about yeah. the industry itself. I, I feel the industry is not there in terms of delivering that kind of experience, um, you know, that people are comfortable with, um, where, see, I, I'm not good with roller coasters. You know, I get motion sickness easy. I cannot yeah. sit in a, in a car with, um, you know, I have to drive the car. And for even just a lot of people like me, right? And and you take me as a test case, um, I fail for almost every VR game. And that's a big problem because locomotion is kind of, they're trying to control it and they're trying to, and, and they're saying that, oh, it's controlled. It's, but I've, every time anyone said it's controlled and it's better, I've tried on it. I'm not able to wear the headset or, or, the, or the wearable device, uh, you know, especially with VR uh, for more than 15, 20 minutes because yeah. I start getting dizzy and, and, yep. um, and, and, and weird in, in my head and I need to break from it. I, I think it will, um, so no, no, I was just going to say, uh, when I was in the army, uh, they, you have this tank simulator. So like right. you're in like a, <laughs> like a, basically a fake tank and you're like riding around it's, you're hitting all these bumps, but it's like a virtual screen. Uh, and I threw up in the tank simulator. So oh. I'm right there with you. Yeah. I'm like, I did uh, 15 minutes in the tank sim and I, and I, and this is like cutting edge technology, you know? Um, and, yep. uh, yeah, no, that was, that was, no yeah, I, I think it'll eventually, I, I hope it gets there to the point where the experience is seamless, like where it doesn't, it doesn't affect, like you, 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 you want to get excited to get on the device or get on the experience right now. It's, it's almost like a task. I have yeah. to push myself to go wear a device. I haven't found a, a game that I'm like, oh my God, I want to play I want to wake up and play that game because it was so good on VR. Yeah. And I think the day that the industry reaches there with uh, an experience which is comfortable and they can solve comfort without any you know issues with, we've done an entire case study on VR, I can share that with you, um, with just the ease of usage yeah. and um, then the immersiveness becomes more, you know, it's, it's a happy place. I mean, yeah. it, it becomes more interesting and you and could fun. actually lose yourself, yeah. you know, in the, in the game. Um, what about AR? Is there something that, I think, I think it's got a trend. I think the industry is more, in terms of success, I feel like uh, AR is the one that's going to be successful over VR uh, and XR, you know, mixed reality in yeah. itself. And, and they have to reach a point where the invasion of, I mean, it, it cannot be invasive in terms of another device kind of on you. Yeah. It has to, it, it, it is trending more towards where less of dependency on an additional hardware unit and more to do with, um, you know, just an experience out of it. So that was so, yeah. what was so cool when we were talking to the CTO of, of Niantic is this idea that you can use games to explore the world that you live in, like that yeah. sort of stuff. And the layers that you can put on the world around you is just so exciting. And I think the other piece of this is, you know, with the Harry Potter stuff that you can take stories that exist 
And then, you know, like, I mean, what's so brilliant about Harry Potter and JK Rowling is genius for this is like the entire wizarding world lives in our normal world. We right. just can't see it because we're muggles, right? Right, right. So this idea it's that- the perfect as, bridge. Yeah, yeah, as a game, it's like it could literally live around you and now it gives you the power to be a wizard yep. um, or a witch. I, like that stuff is just so exciting. And I just think that there's so many cool things that you could do in, you know, outside of, you know, your living room that it's just like, I think we're just, and with your mobile phone that we're just like, I'm just so excited for where that's going. Yeah, I, I really hope it, it it evolves into VR, that into XR, even though the success is right now in XR and MR. Um, it, 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 I just wish, I mean, in MR mostly, sorry, not XR. I, I just wish just because, you know, when I, when I play any like RPG games, right? Like when you get lost into a different world, it's just, it's just so therapeutic. Yeah, I, I don't know agreed. how else to put it. And I was talking to uh, someone the other day, I was talking to one of the doctors who was actually giving a presentation on one of the gaming conferences. And uh, he was mentioning about how he's been using games for kids as therapy and oh, it's yeah. been working quite a bit, right? And I feel like now, if you actually take a virtual experience completely submerged with your real experience, and if it can actually be as engaging as me playing a game on the console or PC, I think it's going to be way more therapeutic. And in fact, they use now, you know, VR devices when they're, you know, performing, you know, um, like open open surgeries and stuff yeah. where they have to stay awake and stuff. And when were they like, you know, I saw some device where they were trying to pin a needle and it's it's almost like a butterfly sitting on their arm or something like that. Uh, that's crazy. So mentally they, they kind of prepare themselves and they keep them very comfortable. If it can if it can be a lot more successful in terms of the experience and locomotion and consistent frame rates and 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 really delivering a good experience, I think it'll be VR will be the future if they can get it right. One of the things that we were talking about in our in our prep was that I was blown away by was how good your client retention is at Pull to Win. I, I'm like absolutely fascinated. I, <laughs> what are your best practices and can you share a little bit more about that? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, we, we have. I mean, you know, not 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 to sound like a sluggish conversation, but it just it's just in terms of like we have. A 98% client, uh, client retention rate uh, with most of the products that we work on. Um, and what drove that was, you know, many different factors. A, culture. I think culture sure. is a huge portion of, um, you know, who we are. What Client retention is kind of directly proportional to um, employee retention in totally. a way and employee happiness. Um, and we focused a lot on that. Um, and one, in one year, I think two or three years back, we gave a 100% increase to everyone. And let me tell you, as a, as a partner, as an outsourcing provider, it's really hard to give that, those kind of raises. Yeah, that's but, crazy. Yeah, and, and, and we had, uh, our margins are really thin, but we try to give it back. Our, our CEO, Deborah, and our chairman, Tepe, they're very extremely supportive of um, giving it back to the community, giving it back to the people, and really, and, and, and I mean, I've never worked for a company for eight years before this. Like, I used to always get frustrated and jump ship in two yeah. years. And, um, but, we want to make it, I mean, even though we're a publicly listed company in Japan uh, on the Nikkei, mm -hmm. we still try to run it like a family owned company where, you know, let's have fun, let's build stuff, let's help people and let's get you whatever best we can give you and and kind of just move on. And, and, and yeah. I love that you did something as a company that is extremely counterculture to like what, you know, everybody always like, oh, we're going to do 3% pay increase because of like with inflation or whatever it is. But it's like, there's just times where when everyone is rocking, like. Yeah, we, yeah. And, and we, we could have, I mean, so, sometimes we think about it and we're like, hey, we could have saved all of that too. 
But then we're like, hey, but we have 98% client retention, yeah. right? So what do you want? And um, when we think back, I feel giving it back to your employees and giving it back to people in itself. People come first. That's it, period. Like how you want to put it, slice and dice it. Take care of your people and they'll take care of you. And we, we have a hierarchy, but we don't even follow it for the most part. Like we, you, you, see, how, you see how all of us are uh, in the company. Um, we're extremely... Um, kind of fast moving and extremely true and extremely real. Um, and we just like to get stuff done. Like we don't, we don't send long corporate emails. We don't, you know, my, 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 my CEO once, once, um, you know, even if you have a difference between each other, she's like, get on the phone and figure, figure it out, yeah. you know? And, and so we, we just very, uh, we try to run it like a, you know, like a family owned company in itself. So culture is one for sure. And then taking care of your people, um, recognition and reward and, and recognizing it. If they don't, even if you don't ha- can't afford the reward, recognize them. A pat on the back, saying thank you is so important sometimes. Um, sometimes I forget and I keep trying to think about, I'll wake up at like 2 a.m. and be like, oh my God, that person worked so hard last <laughs> week. And I send them like a WhatsApp text and I'm like, hey, just want to let you know that was awesome. Yeah. And uh, it goes a long way because sometimes you stop and forget to think about that. So, yeah. All right, let's get into the lightning round. These questions are fast and easy. Oh, okay. Just like... The Salesforce Lightning platform. You can go to salesforce.com slash build mobile apps. Learn more about building mobile apps on the world's number one CRM. Lightning round style questions. Rangan, are you ready? I'm ready. And we use Salesforce, by the way. (laughs) Oh, do you? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, there you go. We love Salesforce. They're the best. Uh, And the amazing sponsor of this podcast. So Awesome. Bringing you know, free content to our IT visionaries, faithful. Um, First question, what app on your phone is the most fun? What's up? (laughs) Favorite vacation spot? Austin. I I have not asked this question yet on the show because, and I've never been there. I want to go to India. Where should I, where should, where's the best vacation spot in India? Bangalore. Is it? Yeah, Bangalore's. I mean, is it lightning round or I can... Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Fire away. <laughs> yeah, Bang- Bangalore has got a good mix of tech and culture. It's almost like the Bay Area, but you have, I mean, if you like music, if you like people, if you like good food, you know, you're going to find traffic any any city you go to India. I would say Goa and Bangalore. Uh, Goa is a fun spot. It's like Hawaii of India. Yeah. Um, and Bangalore for sure. Yeah. Love it. Um, what about your best... I Well, I can't say best game because you have so many, but like... Name a couple games over the years that you're particularly in love with. Ooh, um, Skyrim for sure. Grand Theft Auto. Grand Theft Auto is great. Fallout, the entire series. Which Grand Theft Auto? Uh, I still think 4 was the best. Which one is Is that San Andreas or is that? Oh, I forget. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't. I mean, I remember going through... GTA. I think it was the San Andreas was the one that I played the most. San Andreas was, I think, two or three. Uh, I think it was three. Or three. Yeah. Um, and I just remember, like, when it was, like, one of those, like, the surprise and delight things where we hit, like, some car jump or, so like, some jump, <laughs> and then it, like, freeze-framed and, like, gave you a reward. And I was like, I didn't even didn't think this was possible. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? And, like, stuff that you just, so many things like that in that game that were just, like, hidden all around. You're, oh. Like, so Far absolutely. beyond its, yeah, it's yeah, yes, game. I, I, I absolutely, I, and even with Skyrim, I relate to that just because after Oblivion, when Skyrim came out, like out of nowhere, 
like the game is going into a whole different dimension and the side quest suddenly out of nowhere i'm a vampire i'm a werewolf but it was so fascinating and beautiful um but yeah okay so you said uh, fallout and then your theme fallout the elder scroll series all yeah. of elder scroll oblivion skyrim uh morrowind um grand theft auto for sure the entire series i'm a huge old school half-life fan so the entire half-life one half-life two um you know gordon freeman fans so old school games man like like you know back in john carmack and all, all those guys who built like you know like games like unreal quake and all of that i still love them so i mean if i were to pick in current today's day and age like right now what am i playing i'm playing PUBG. but but what i will always cherish are games like skyrim and you know uh, grand theft auto rdr2 I mean, beautiful game. Yeah, it's just amazing. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't, some of the scenes, uh, so <laughs> I, I'm notorious for watching my friends play video games. Some of the scenes in Red Dead where it's like those sweeping views and you're like, this is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Like what a, what a world. Um, what about hardest game? Ooh, hardest game. Oh man. I mean, I told you I played Mario again and, it, and I almost like started questioning my life and my game of life and, and like, wow, how, how am I so bad at this? But I would say the hardest game that I've ever played would be Diablo 3. Oh. Diablo 3 and the highest level of difficulty. I can't even imagine how people do that. I, I just can't. I remember uh, I, we could never get past on uh, on Lion King. Like, I think it's like one of the things. <laughs> oh. That game on Genesis was so, <laughs> so good, so ridiculously hard. I think it was like one, one of the levels. That's another game I never beat. Never beat that. Never beat Contra Hardcore uh for oh. genesis that game was like impossible it's impossible so so yeah contrast one I, I mean i would say was you know one of my flagship favorites yeah um from back in the day especially two player especially the s when you get it yeah uh, the spread the spreads that's so good <laughs> um okay last uh last question um what would be your best advice for a first time exec that's working in any type of qa world that's leading a team in QA. Hmm. Um, the best advice that I can give would be one. I mean, as I said, you know, take care of your people, your culture, all the subjective portions of running a company are very important. Um, people, culture, pay, people love food, people love recognition, do all of that. But just in terms of QA and, and being a leader, the, the, I mean, I, I rose up pretty early in my career. I, I started from, you know, just being a gamer running gaming communities to where I am today, right? And uh, what got me to succeed and what I can share, which will absolutely work is try to be selfless with, don't worry about pay, don't worry about, um, you know, as long as you have food on the table and um, you can you can get, you can sleep at night and you know, you have all the basic necessities, just work hard in terms of what's the legacy you wanna leave and what are you gonna be proud about? And of course, make time for family and friends and all of that. Um, but in, in terms of QA, at least like, you know, experience is the most important thing. Uh, so focus on experience, uh, experience over everything else, uh, whether it's user experience, player experience, how you want to slice and dice it. You know, a lot of QA managers, a lot of QA leaders I've seen in the past, like, you know, go with okay, how many bugs have you posted with the day? Like, make sure you, when don't focus on productivity based on, you know, metrics, which are obsolete or which are yeah. not in trend anymore. Uh, try to improvise from it. Try to challenge convention to the best you can. That's one of the best advices I got from my friends at Riot, Riot Games, uh, is challenge convention. And what, what I would suggest is, you know, focus on the quality of the product that you're trying to do and reward your people. And I know it sounds very subjective, but it actually boils down to that. 
you can have some of the best experts in testing, you know, help you build and test and, and, and deliver strong experiences out there. But it's not about how many bugs you found or, um, you know, how much, you know, how many, how many bugs you found. It's about, could be that one bug, which is the most important That's bug. That's a great point. You know, that could be worth like hundred other bugs that you just found. Yeah, it's it's the power law, right? It's yeah. like, you know, the uh, the 20%, you know, Pareto principle, like 20% of, uh, of the bugs, you know, would probably have 80% of the impact yep. or whatever it is. Yep, yep. Um, 80, 20 on that. Uh, I would say look at patterns. A lot of people get too obsessed with metrics. Um, I think metrics are a good dialogue to have once you look at, you observe a pattern, you look at what it's trending to, have the conversation with the people, but don't try to go hard and fast by it. That, that can be dangerous. Um, it's, it's, it's dangerous in any sense you look at it. If you try to go hard and fast by setting targets based on metrics alone, it's extremely counterproductive and can be destroying to the company itself. So what we've realized is observe the patterns, see what the best you can get out of it, go have the dialogue with people and whether it's to improvise or pat on the back or whatever you want to do, but don't use that as your only sole mechanism to, you know, recognize, reward, fire, do whatever you want, right? So that's one of the things I've, I've been seeing in QA, a lot of QA leaders go wrong with, so. Awesome. This has been super great having you on the show. Uh, we got to have you back. You're our gaming <laughs> correspondent officially now because this is uh, this has oh, been super I, fun. I feel honored right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks for thanks for coming on. Any any final stuff to plug? Uh, everybody should check out ptw.com and uh, and learn more about Pull to Win. Uh, anything else? No, I I just think um, you know glad to be on the show. Thank you again, you know, for for giving us uh, the time for this. Um, you know, I, I just want to say that, you know, to every every IT leader out there, you know, try to make time for your friends and family, especially the Bay Area. I see that, you know, a lot of us are burning out. So yeah. we need to we need to take time for ourselves. Totally agree. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Thanks again to our friends at Salesforce. Did you know Salesforce isn't just for sales? Using Salesforce as an employee experience platform helps make every employee across your organization more productive thanks to a common mobile-first platform for getting work done faster. Find out more at salesforce.com slash employee experience.